Well, good morning. It is so good to be with all of you. I'm Kelly Long. I'm one of the pastors here at Foundry. I spend most of my time down at the Jones Road campus, so it is a special treat to get to come out here and be with you all while Ray is down there this morning. Um, In this series called Resist, we are talking about forces in the world that pull us away from the kind of life and being and spirit and heart and mind that God intends for his creation creation and about how we as the church must often adopt what seem like radical mindsets in resisting some of these pitfalls. So we're pairing up a lot of words to look at this concept, a lot of those that you just saw flashing on the screen. And last week, Ray kicked it off here by speaking about how worship must resist idolatry. And this morning, I want to offer up the idea that honor must resist contempt. Honor and contempt. Now, I don't think that those are words that we use a whole lot, at least if I am speaking for myself. They are not the kind of buzzwords that we hear in the news or in the media. They are not in the vernacular of the corporate world or education. Honor kind of feels like one of those words that we use for very special occasions. We honor our fallen soldiers. We bring honor to our families and our family name. Even the commandment, honor thy mother and and thy father, it certainly just doesn't seem like everyday language, at least in this day and age, as it were. And that word contempt, that's super dramatic, isn't it? It's kind of like I'm picturing one of those courtroom dramas where um, the attorney is starting to get all passionate, right? And there's all of this, this disorder in the courtroom and the judge is pounding his gavel and is saying, I'm, gonna, I'm holding you in contempt of court. And the attorney shouts back, I'm holding you in contempt, right? And there's this big uproar. My husband is actually an attorney, and those sorts of scenes drive him crazy because he says it's never near that exciting in an actual courtroom unless you're at the Johnny Depp trial. (laughs) And we do not have near enough time to go into that this morning. That will be the next sermon series. I'm just kidding. Um, But honor and contempt, these are not words and ideas that we spend a lot of time probably thinking about, and yet I feel like this morning that is what God is putting in front of us because these words do echo God's word. And in understanding them, we understand better God's heart for the world and his will for the church. And so we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark this morning from chapter 6, a passage, verses 1 through 6, and I'll read it now. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And then Jesus said to them, prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, at first glance, 
Our passage seems to set Jesus up in a fairly good way. Mark's gospel, uh, in, in, in the gospel just before this passage, Jesus has been teaching and preaching up a storm all over the countryside there in Galilee. Mark is the kind of gospel that doesn't mince a lot of words. It's shorter than the others. It's about action. It cuts straight to the chase of who Jesus is and what business he has come to be about. So right off in the beginning, John the Baptist declares that uh, the way is coming and then he baptizes Jesus and Jesus is tempted and overcome and then it's straight to work, like I said. He's calling disciples good. He's healing the sick good. He's healing the paralyzed good. There are lepers and old women and dead daughters and 12 disciples, all good. And then we get to this place and Jesus is going home. Good, right? Who doesn't love a trip back home to the people that know you and that love you and that see you? And Jesus is here and he's teaching in the synagogue there in Nazareth. And it says, many who heard him were astounded. Or some translations, it says, amazed. That's not terrible. I'd like to speak and people be amazed in a good way. But to be astounded and amazed does not necessarily mean to be changed by what's said and just to be surprised by it. And so this is where it starts to turn a little bit for Jesus. They said, where did this man get all of this? What is this wisdom? What are these deeds of power? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? His brothers, his sisters, are they not like here with us right now? In other words, who does this guy think he is? Because we know who you are, Jesus. He is the carpenter's son. I wonder if that has ever happened to you. Have you ever found yourself in a group of friends or family members or, or neighbors or, or coworkers, someone close to you who is just sure that they have you nailed down? I remember when I started this kind of whole journey into pastoral ministry, and um, I had shared something about it, and a, a friend that I've known for many years, all the way back to middle school, actually, she shared that she was really surprised that I was going to become a pastor because, gosh, I mean, she'd known me in high school, and she'd known me in college, and I just didn't really seem like the pastoring type. And I was like, thank you for sharing. Um, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't, I truly was not that bad, but even if I was, hello, grace, no, redemption, transformation, all these things we talk about, is there not room in all of us for God to do something better? Amen. But this is what we do to people, isn't it? We hold these ideas about them. It's like we suspend them in, in time. We put them in a box based on a phase of life or a circumstance or a preference or a culture. And it becomes difficult for us to imagine them in any other way. And I think that's what's happening to Jesus here. He is surrounded by family and a community that knows him as the carpenter. And now they hear him speaking and teaching and instructing them. And they took offense at him, it says. Offense. The closer translation of that phrase means they were scandalized by him. They were shocked. 
by what Jesus was saying and doing because it violated all of the norms, because it flew in the face of how Jesus the carpenter was expected to behave and to act, of what propriety meant, of what societal rules were there to uphold. Notice Mark does not bother telling us what Jesus said, does he? He doesn't even get to the teaching because I think in this instance, it doesn't matter. It's not what he was talking about or whether they believed or, or understood what Jesus was teaching. I believe what Mark's gospel wants us to see is that these people can't get past who is speaking in front of them to even listen to what is being spoken. And so these people who are familiar with Jesus, who have a history with Jesus, who saw him grow up, they think they already know who he is and who he should be. And so their offense at him has blinded them. It has shut off their ears from hearing and their hearts from receiving. And there is a word for how they are treating Jesus, and you know it. It is that word contempt. There's an old saying that familiarity breeds contempt. That those people that know us best are the ones that give us the least credit. And I think it's strikingly plain here. But contempt is the feeling that someone is beneath consideration. That someone is of less worth, even deserving scorn. And contempt, whether we use that word in everyday vernacular at home or at school or at work, contempt is everywhere. And I know what you are thinking. That is a strong word. I am sure I do not have contempt for anybody. But listen, this is the time to be honest because if Jesus Christ can stand among his own people, his family and his friends, and he can receive contempt, you had better believe that in a world full of imperfect human, human beings that you and I and every John Doe out on the street is feeling or tempted to feel contempt towards somebody else at some point or another. It is part of our human condition. And whether a conscious decision is made or not, contempt leads us to devalue others, to claim superiority over other people, whether it is ethically or socially or morally or aesthetically or economically. And we do it on an individual level all the time. The anger I feel when I watch somebody on the news violate one of the moral standards I hold most highly. Or the way I am tempted to discount another person because of how I see them behave socially. But the problem with contempt isn't just on an individual level, though it exists there. It's when contempt becomes the way that we operate as a society it breeds the kind of disdain that is responsible in the most extreme cases for atrocities like the Holocaust and the Rwandan genocide. Because contempt deceives us into believing that one life is worth more than another, is more valuable and more worthy. And so we become justified in the way that we hate and that we dismiss and the way we destroy other people. 
And in its smallest degree, contempt fractures relationships and friendships and families and businesses. Contempt causes us to dismiss entire segments of society and cultures because it says to another person, you do not have the same value that I do. And so Jesus said to them, prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. Jesus knows what's happening here. They do not honor the prophet in their midst because they cannot recognize him. They are not willing to recognize him for who he is and what he is. And so the result is really kind of lackluster. I read this section, I feel kind of pity for these people. Jesus could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And Jesus in turn was amazed at their unbelief. I mean, gracious, y'all, here stands the Son of God. Remember, I'm talking about how, you know, Mark's gospel is all about action, about what Jesus is accomplishing and revealing himself to to the world. And and Jesus is not wasting time. Following his baptism, baptism by just the sixth chapter in Mark's gospel, Jesus has cast out an evil spirit, He has healed Peter's mother-in-law and a whole slew of other people in Capernaum. He has healed a man with leprosy. He has healed a paralyzed man. He has brought Levi out of the tax collector's booth. He has restored a dead man's man's deformed hand. He has cast out demons, calmed a storm, ended years of suffering for an old woman, and brought a young girl back to life. Y'all, if Jesus were here today... I would be like, I got a list, let's go. (laughs) But here in his hometown, Jesus could do no deed of power. See, contempt does not change who Jesus is. Because just after this, he gets out and he calls the 12 and then he commissions them and they go and they act in his name. Contempt does not change Jesus. Contempt does not change who God is, but it sure does limit the work that we allow him to do in our own lives. Contempt keeps us from seeing others as God created them to be. I know we don't always like one another. No one in this room, of course. I know we don't always agree, also no one in this room, I'm sure. But disagreement does not have to mean that a person is somehow worth less than someone else. We can be angry, we can be sad, we can be irritated by another person and still acknowledge that that person is a child of God and worthy of value and the consideration of life that Christ gives. Because unless we embrace God's creation with the same heart that he has for it, we will always be separated from him in some capacity. And we will always be limited in understanding and seeing the power of his spirit and his love for this world. And if we are limited this way individually, imagine how the church is limited. 
But there is a remedy, of course. What's that other word? Honor. Listen to what it says in the book of Romans at chapter 12. I'm going to begin with verse 3 and sort of just skip around a little bit. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And Paul goes on to explain that in one body we have many members, but not all have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And he lists those gifts. And then he says, so let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. And outdo one another in showing honor. These are, as Paul writes them, what we label in a lot of translations, what we call the marks of a true Christian. Because this is the way we celebrate the gifts given to us by the grace of God. See, where contempt is the feeling that somebody is beneath consideration or worth out worth, honor by contrast is the call to recognize the value that somebody possesses and to esteem that person rightly. Honor restores what contempt attempts to reduce and honor is the culture of God's kingdom. In Mark's, uh, in Mark's chapter, at chapter 4, Jesus has been in ministry and he's been healing and teaching. And we read that now there was a woman who had been suffering from a flow of blood for 12 years. And she had endured much under physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but she grew rather worse. And so she had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his cloak, I will be made well. So here we have a woman stricken with a disease and not one that just makes her sick, but one that also makes her ritually unclean in the eyes of the law. She has no money and no wealth. So all the strikes are against her in the eyes of the community. This is a person who likely knows the meaning of the word contempt and to whom contempt is shown on a regular basis. But what happens when she honors the prophet Jesus by reaching out to be healed? It says immediately her flow of blood stopped and she felt in her body that she had been healed of her disease. And the narrative continues. Jesus, immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, turned to the crowd and said, who touched my cloak? And the disciples were like, there's people everywhere. Jesus, what are you talking about? And he says, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I mean, imagine this. Imagine this, this woman in this state of life who has been boxed in with her by that identity, by the, the community, stuck with contempt in a specific position for so long. Christ's own family was not willing to give him honor, but this woman comes forward and she tells him the whole truth. And he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. What's that first word? What's the first word that comes out of his mouth? Daughter, your faith has made you well. 
There's no contempt here for her uncleanliness. She has not scorned because she did not ask for permission. She's not devalued or diminished in any way. Instead, she is given peace and healing. She is called daughter. To you and to me, friends in Christ, there is only daughter and son, child and friend. There is only honor. And in this honor, we are made well and we are healed. This is why honor must resist contempt. Because look at all that we miss out on, all that we lose when it goes the other way. Look at the healing and the peace and the grace that is ready for each one of us. Contempt sometimes feels really good in the moment. I know that it does, but in the long run, all it does is just diminish God's mercy. It cuts us off from his blessings and not because he wishes to withhold them from us, but because we have put limits on God by limiting those that he loves. But honor, honor is life giving. Author John Tyson uses what he calls the honor filter of Jesus Christ. When he looks at the world around him, he points out how Jesus looked at the people around him like the woman in this story and uses a divine lens when he looks upon people. He does not see tax collectors or prostitutes or outcasts or sinners. He sees them instead for the will of God prepared for each one of them. He sees them instead as people crowned with glory, worthy of welcome and recognition in God's kingdom. For us, this honor filter means honoring other people's stories. Everybody's got a story. We are all shaped by our experiences, good and bad and everything in between. Remember my friend from college who could not believe I wanted to be a pastor because of whatever I said and did in high school? What if instead with compassion, we honored the roads that people have walked and invite God to show us the journey that he has prepared that road for, how he is preparing them for something new? We can honor calling we're all created for a purpose fearfully and wonderfully made. And honor doesn't just consider the calling of us as individuals, but it recognizes Paul's truth here in Romans that we are all one body in Christ. And maybe, maybe you have a calling and I have a calling and that other guy has a calling, but maybe it's not just so that we can argue about whose calling is higher and greater, but so that we can see the grand design that we are all called into as God's children. We can honor sacrifice. We live in a country where men and women have laid down and continue to lay down their lives to protect our freedoms. We live in communities where our police officers and our first responders continue to do the same. We worship in a church 
part of many churches where men and women have experienced persecution to serve and to preserve the truth of God. And daily in big and small ways, we are surrounded by people who sacrifice for their communities and for their schools and for their families. And we can honor that. We can honor gifts. See, honor recognizes gifts big and small, long and short, those gifts that seem full of charisma and those gifts that come to us as humble and meek because honor trusts that those gifts are given by the Holy Spirit according to sovereign purpose who lets no good thing go to waste. And we can honor each other's futures. That truth written in the book of Jeremiah, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with a hope. It's unlike every graduation card in the Christian section at, well, at Hallmark. It's like that big. But it is a truth. It is a truth because honor is there for us to see who we can become, who someone can become, not only where someone came from. Honor is there so that we can stand before the son of a carpenter and see the son of God. Yes, honor must resist contempt. And the church has to be the one that does it. This body, this, this one body that we call the church, it is bigger than this campus. It is bigger than Foundry altogether. It is bigger than all the churches in Cyprus. It is God's plan for the world where Christ sits at the head. The word of God calls the church Christ's bride because that's how we understand God's love for his people and the sort of union that he is inviting us into the body of Christ redeemed by his blood that we might be for the world, the body of Christ. Should the body limit what the head is capable of? Should the hands stop working when the brain says to build and to serve? Should the feet stop moving when the spirit says go? Should the heart stop beating when God says love? Absolutely not. There's a man outside my neighborhood he shows up every couple of weeks and he stands on the esplanade right there at the stoplight and he doesn't want anything. Sometimes he brings a bag with him and he picks up trash and that is so nice. But he always has a sign. And the sign says something like choose joy or be fruitful in kindness. And this week the sign said God has no limits. And I was like rolling down my window going preach it brother. I think the fact is, you know, we talk about the body, the church as a body. And, and we have our own bodies and, and we know that they are limited, don't we? Kate and I danced for like 765 hours at BBS last week. We're going to do it again this week. And at some point in that week, there was a, there was a jumping contest and I knew it was a bad idea. My body was like, you are not in your 20s, friend. <laughs> but the head says no. The head says there is still work to be done. 
the head who is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, risen from the dead and sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. The head says, resist, friends, in the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. You may feel limitations and you may feel uh, temptations of the world, but I have overcome the world. And I am not a God of limitations, but a God of goodness, of love, of possibility, of honor. So go and be my church for the world. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are not a God of limitations, but of limitless power and grace and mercy. And we honor you, God, and we ask for your forgiveness in the ways that we fail to honor others in your name. We ask for your forgiveness for the contempt that we are tempted into that leads us astray. The contempt that fractures and separates and destroys. The contempt that makes us deaf and blind with unbelief. Free us, we pray. Give us the heart that you have for your people. That we may welcome honor as our culture, as this church's culture, as your people's culture and esteem rightly your goodness in all people. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.